to another episode of the People People podcast. Hello. Hello. In case you can't tell, which I'm sure you can, we are all in the same room. Whoa. It's so exciting. We are looking at each other in the face. Yeah. I can see feet. Yes. Yeah. It's really wonderful. Mm. And we're actually also coming to you from Sidonia Hill, Geelong. Mm. Um, they have a studio for the Cubby House. And we are in there. On location. On location. Fantastic. Edie would be so sad to be missing out on this. She would. She loves the cuppy house. She's all about it. Oh, that's so good. I'm, I really like it as well. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't, but I really do. The only problem I've noticed of us being in the same room is we don't have an excuse for long and awkward silences that's as we ponder. Because it used to be, oh, Zoom. Yeah. But now we're like... Okay, they just think slowly. <laughs> that's, right. that's right. So it turns out it hasn't been Zoomed this whole time. No, it's just <laughs> it's us. Just us. <laughs> oh, but dear. that's okay. Did anyone else have the fear of when you do go back to socializing? Like, I worried, what if I've forgotten how to socialize like a normal person? Like, mm. I could be awkward at the best of times with no <laughs> pandemic, but, you know, putting mm. a good couple of months without seeing people, I was like, am I just going to be. I'm pretty sure. So I, weird. I'm yeah. pretty sure I hugged my boss around the waist today. <laughs> <laughs> it's just strange shit. Like, what, how do we? Um, yeah. Yep. Yeah. I did a lot of. Are you hugging? Yeah. <laughs> we had a staff morning, by the way, and so that's what we. That's how we all saw each other mm. in person. Britt's back from Sydney. I am. We ran across the field. We did. It was a really nice <laughs> moment. Really, I dropped my really bag nice. in a dramatic yeah. fashion. Took my shoes off in anticipation. Yep. And we Last ran. three seconds was slow motion. It was beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Elise was like, in my head, it was slow motion. I was like, no, I'm just a slow runner. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's really what it was. Yeah, it was real nice. Yeah. But it was really lovely to all be back together again in mm. person. Like God has been really kind to give us this morning and we got to do it outside mm. and Victorian weather didn't beat us. And so God was looking after us. And geez, that was the first time that you've been back because you've been on leave. I have. For the last five weeks for baby Freya. That's right. Yay. Yeah. And now you're back. I am. It's nice to be back. She's four weeks old now. Wow. So I'm pleased to report I've lost all my baby weight. <laughs> back to where I was before she came and uh she's great she's yeah she's cute she's relaxed mm. um and Edie is loving being a big sister so yeah. we're all doing well mm. can you tell people about you know that video that you sent Em oh, and I yeah. and it was a moment that Lexi happened to catch mm. um Edie saying something to Freya it was week one and it was like, just please just tell after they met everyone they only met was. when Freya was like four or five days old and Edie came up to Freya and snuggled up really close and said, Edie's here. Edie's always here for baby Freya. We didn't even know she knew those words. That is, it was so, the and best. And to like put them together in yeah. such a beautiful way. It was, yep. Yeah. And I, then yeah. Freya was crying and so Edie said, okay, time to put her away. <laughs> okay. So, so she also knows we're getting words. It's just, yeah. I really love watching kids interact with each other. Like new siblings are so fun, but just, yeah, just seeing kids be together and the way that they talk mm. to one another. And mm. you're just like, huh, you've got your whole other language and this understanding between you. And it's just like little community. It's just mm. really beautiful. Yeah. It's really fun to see. Speaking of kids, my dad's not here. 
He's on leave, yeah. so it's just the three of us. That's right. Yes. So just fair warning for listeners, you can expect slightly less wisdom from this episode. <laughs> but now that I'm back, in a dramatic twist of irony, probably slightly more dad jokes. <laughs> so Excellent. something to look forward to. <laughs> and boy, are we. We've, we, we heard some from you of late and you're really warming up. It's good to be back. Yep. <laughs> it's good to have you back. Is there anything that you've been thinking about like while you have been away? Because I know... You haven't been working technically, no, yeah. but you have still been thinking, I'm mm. sure. Yeah, I've been thinking like really this year. So not particularly mm. in the last few weeks, but all year. Um, why why do we do small groups? Mm. That's, that's been a question that I've been trying to wrestle with because I'm convinced that they're important and my experience of them has been really good, mm. right? Uh, but I read a book earlier in the year that was pretty anti-small groups. Interesting. He, this guy had this whole theory. Maybe we'll tackle it in another podcast yeah. called Proxemics. Um, and it's very nerdy, but I loved it. But the outcome was, I don't think we should do small groups anymore. I think we should do other kinds of gatherings. Wait, that's uh, you saying no, that? No, no, that, that was the that. outcome of the okay, author. Okay, my heart right? just stopped yeah, for, a, for And a we all second. just changed our jobs. <laughs> yeah. So as someone who helps run the small groups at our church, mm. it got me wondering, what, well, he doesn't like small groups. So why, why do we do small groups? And I started reading a whole bunch of other small group literature, right? And... What I found is just about every book has an opening chapter of why do small groups Hmm. and not many of them are that convincing. Oh, So it seems like the common argument that I found, which I personally don't love, is Jesus did things in groups of 12. And so it makes sense that churches would do things in small groups like that too. That seems to be the main logic going on, right? That the reason you do small groups is because that's how the early church started. That's how Jesus did it. And I think that's probably just a narrow view of firstly how to read the Bible and apply yeah. the Bible to us, but also a narrow view of what small groups are and what they do yeah. at the moment and what the church is and how it's developed over the last 2000 years. And so mm. I would love, so I'm asking everyone now, yeah. why do we do small groups? Cause this is a thing in our circles, at least in our tribe, most people agree with them, right? Most people yeah. say they're good, but what's the why behind small groups? Mm-hmm. I've got a few thoughts at this point, but I'd love to hear from you guys. Mm. What's, what's the why? Just generally, as a quick side note, it would be so interesting to think about all the things we do that we, we do. We've never really thought about why we actually do them. Mm-hmm. Like, even as you're saying this, like, in some ways, initially, the question was like, why don't you do small groups? I'm like, well, of course we do them. And yeah, how many other things fall into that category? I yeah. remember Chiz, um, when we first sort of went into lockdown, you used this analogy of being on the ship um, that is ministry and that doing maintenance to the ship as you're going. And so therefore you can't mess with things too much because you've got to keep this thing afloat and moving forward. And then you're like, but it feels like kind of in lockdown, it's the equivalent. I, I love that I'm quoting you to you right now. <laughs> <laughs> Let me tell you about this thing that you said. <laughs> but you're saying that, uh, so feel free to chime in at any time, but you're saying that lockdown is kind of like the equivalent of throwing everyone into lifeboats. Right. While we then sort of work on the ship. And I guess that's the point where you're like, well, do we even want a ship? Or do we even, you know, some of those just things that I've always just thought of as not even negotiable. Mm. Yeah. Let's actually think about what is negotiable Mm. or at least have a good framework for the things that we're like, no, this is not negotiable, knowing Mm -hmm. why that's the case. um, And it's it's a really important question at the moment because mm. we're starting to return. And so rather than just start everything up with the aim of things going back to how they were, there's a real opportunity to start up the things that are good and Mm. leave behind the things that weren't and start new things that'll Mm -hmm. be better. And to do that requires a bit of bravery 
and uh, uh, an ability to say this served us well for a while, but that belongs on the old boat and we're going to do things differently. So I, I don't expect we'll throw out small groups, <laughs> but I would like a robust answer for mm. why, like it's, it's my, basically my entire job is small yeah. groups. Mm. And we have about 50 of them at our church, 100 leaders. That's, I don't know how many man hours a week, but it's yeah. a lot. That's a massive investment of resources. Mm-hmm. And I'm, I think I'm convinced it's worth it, but what, what, I want to know what others think. And I think after the, like the last two weeks that we've spent, talking about the complexity within community even more so we need to have a good not only a good answer so that we have a good answer for something but a really good understanding and conviction of why why are we doing this Mm. because we have like for my group alone like if everyone shows up there's 17 of us right and i want to welcome you into my home and be convinced that this is the best way we can be spending our wednesday night yes Mm. and the best way that we can be spending our saturday morning when we go out for breakfast together or when we meet up at the same church service or zoom together for church Mm. like i don't want yeah i just i think after this year it just doesn't cut it to say well it's just what we do because there's a lot that we just don't do and yet we are seeing the gospel thrive we are seeing people come to faith despite the big pieces on the chess board that aren't there anymore. Right. Um, or at least not, obviously not there in the same way. So I think, yeah, I don't know if I like that answer of, well, Jesus did things in a group of 12. Like mm. they say other things too. I don't want to be like overly sure. narrow, but that, that seems to be one of the big arguments. Like that's a headline. Is Jesus is our model for ministry. Mm. And that extends as far as the number of people he ministered to at any one time. Mm. I really struggle. I've thought about this a, a fair bit this year because um, anyone who's talked to any of us this year will know we got really into reading John Mark Comer. And I was waiting. I was waiting to see if he <laughs> would come up in this conversation. But the one conversation, we then read a chapter a week. We had then discussed it as a team. Um, and one thing that I... Um, or one thing we sort of talked about was how much do we use what Jesus did mm-hmm. as a prescription, therefore, of what we do? Because um, he's sort of... Um, the thrust of his argument in the book is to, um, I don't want to misquote him here, but basically that we should live the life of Jesus if we want mm-hmm. to experience um, the full joys that Jesus has and everything he has and the light burden that he has to offer, though, then we need to um, live his way. Adopt his lifestyle. That's yeah. kind of the language. And yeah. We had a big discussion about how much of, to what extent is that true? I mean, to use two extreme examples, Jesus walked everywhere. Does that mean that we need to walk everywhere? We would probably say no. But then there's the other end of the spectrum where we say we saw that Jesus had such a heart for um, the poor in our society mm. and such a heart for those who have been looked over and downtrodden. And we would all very much say yes. Right. Therefore, that too needs to be um, where we have our heart and something that we do. Yeah. And I just have so much trouble finding where's the line mm. of Jesus did it, therefore we have to do it. Mm. Yes, he was the perfect human but we live in a different time mm. and a different place. Mm. And yet <laughs> I feel like I'm about to just go back on myself for a second. <laughs> like, I think that is something he would do if he was here and now. Like, I think that is part of the beauty of small groups is that there is this accountability. There's our opportunity to be able to open the word and dive into it. And so what would that look like for him in this season in this like in the world that we live in now mm. I, like i'm not saying that that's what he would do but i think like part of me is like i'm like 
Like, that's such a cop-out answer. But then I'm like, well, to a degree, I think he would do that here mm. and mm. now. Like, because his intentionality behind it wouldn't change. Although I don't think our small groups are, you know, disciples following me. Like, like if I was their leader, I'm not like, hey, follow me and, you know, become fishers of men. But it's like, follow Jesus. Mm. Like, adopt elements of what he is doing and in his life. And I think the way that we are able to do that within small groups as someone on our team says a lot, we are in rows on a Sunday and we are in circles <laughs> during the week. And your ability to see people within a circle is much more significant than our ability to see people in a row. Right. I can't see your suffering mm. if you're five people down to my left because I can't see you. Mm. But if you're five people around and across a circle, mm. I see you and I feel that in a really different way. Mm. I think mm. that's just one of many reasons why I think mm. small groups are... I'm convinced that they are the best thing. Mm. And we've seen this year, they are the heroes of 2020. Totally. And I'll never not say it. Yeah. She's, I'd be interested to know in your reading, because my mind's working similar to yours, and I'm, trying to, I'm sort of thinking through the pragmatics of just yeah. these things that you can do in a small group that you can't do in a larger congregation. But now I'm also thinking, thinking through what I know of the Bible, and I was like, I feel like I haven't actually seen any prescription for small groups i mean they talk about we see we get sort of directions about church and gatherings Mm. um but there doesn't seem to be this like we sort of have the gathering on a sunday the gathering during the week Mm. choose from your reading what does the bible kind of have to say to that nothing cool nothing about small groups (laughs) i like honestly i just don't think there's a prescription about small groups and they Mm. didn't exist as we know them until the 18th century the wesleys were the guys behind small groups as we now know it and so there's either 1,800 years of church history that was really disobedient to the way Jesus wants us to do ministry, <laughs> or there's something else going on there, right? And, and it's an important question because if there's a theological mandate for small groups, mm. then it's disobedient not to be in one. Mm. And that impacts 40% of our church, mm. right, mm. who aren't in a small group. But if it's just pragmatic reasons, then... You can have as many or as few people as you like in small groups. Mm. And so I think where I'm landing, where I'm leaning, is it's somewhere in between. Mm. There are things that you are theologically required to do as a church Mm. that you can't do pragmatically on a Sunday, if that's all you do. And so I think the best vehicle we have right now for doing a lot of those things is small groups. Does that make sense? Mm. So I'm... I'm thinking particularly of the one another statements in the New Testament, the 60-something or 80-something, however many there are. Um, you, you cannot bear with one another in the same way on a Sunday as you can in a small group. You can't mourn with one another during a Sunday service that happens in conversation or mm-hmm. over tea or coffee or, or all these sort of things. Um, and so there's just a pragmatic reality behind small groups that we can't do everything with everyone at a church at our size. Mm-hmm. And so we need another vehicle to help facilitate the one another ministry that the Bible really calls us to. So that's not optional. We just had I just had a visitor yeah. in our podcast. It's the star from the cutting house. Oh. We just saw a celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> so um, that, is, that is to say, I don't know that you have to be in a small group. And I don't think your church has to run small groups either mm. in terms of the theology of the Bible or what mm. the New Testament calls us to. 
But I'm yet to see a better, more effective vehicle for the kind of ministry the Bible calls the church to than small groups. Maybe with the exception of one-to-one ministry. But again, then you have pragmatic concerns. Can everyone in your church be met one-to-one in the same way? Or is it better to do groups? It's, it's tricky. Hmm. Can I ask another question then? Yeah. That was very interesting. And now my brain's working over time to try and think through the, the ramifications of this. Because in the early church, like we meet in Hoyts on a Sunday, but obviously mm. in the early church, they couldn't just go and rent out their local movie theatre or in that time go and rent out an arena because that's where they were probably killing the Christians. Um, and so they met in homes. And right. so you saw something closer to a mm. small group in some ways. So is that because we've now got bigger services? Do you think we then need a small group ministry to maybe um, fill in some of the things that we missed by going to a bigger... It, mm. Does that kind of make sense? Like if we had to mm. create two things, Sunday gatherings mm. and small groups. Mm. Yeah, it's a great question. I, I think maybe understanding how the first century society ran mm. helps us. So they didn't just meet in homes, they met in households, mm-hmm. which is probably the equivalent of a series of townhouses. Uh-huh. I think Brunswick, right? So you've probably got six families yep. in a household. So you're talking up to 50 yeah. people. Mm. So that's not a small group by any standard that we would use. And so meeting in homes and house churches doesn't look like we think it does. It's actually much bigger. Mm-hmm. And then they would meet in the temple in groups of thousands sometimes yeah. oh, yeah, as the well. Temple. I forgot and about so that. They, they have like all these different but also the way they do life is super local. Mm-hmm. So you know all your neighbors and you spend heaps of time with them. And the people you do life with as Christians, you're just they're your household. So mm-hmm. you're sharing so much of your life with them and they know what it's like to be you. They know how your life's is going it's not like you go off to work and have that community and then you come home and have a different community right or your communities are much more intertwined than they are for us Mm. and so i think um sociologically two thousand years later our lives are not as local as they used to be you might live in one suburb work in another go to church in another again Mm -hmm. and then all your friends live in another one and so you're a lot more divided and so small groups are a way of um, gathering together because you're not naturally hanging out with people from your church unless you make the effort to turn up somewhere Mm. but then also setting aside that time to do the one another ministries that maybe happened a little more incidentally in the first century, right? When you are working on a farm with everyone else in your town, maybe there's a different opportunity for ministry, right? And so I think it's, um, yeah, you just, I guess you want to be careful drawing too many parallels with us in the first century because it's so different. And we Mm. know that, right? Everyone knows the first century is not the 21st century, but... Mm. Um, I, I wonder if the way we then imagine the way church should be. I just get really nervous when someone says we should go back to the way the early church was. Mm. Some of that's true because they did some mm. things well. Some of it is they did it because that was the first century. They, they'd only just invented the wheel. <laughs> right? We, we have sure. different technology and, and right. God's given us the means to use that. So um, I obviously don't know when the wheel was invented. I suspect it was a little bit earlier than that, right? It's okay. <laughs> we had brush pass. Kept going. Yeah, thanks. You know what I mean. Just in case anyone was wondering that I'm super historically Some ignorant. Some poor listener is outraged yeah. right yeah, now. I'm right. like, you yeah. idiot. Um, so, yeah, I, I think I'm just not convinced quickly or readily by lots of arguments that rely heavily on the lifestyle of the first century. Mm. 
as, as we said with Jesus, right? A lot of it was just living in the first century. Mm-hmm. And so I think we, um, we want to mind the gap, as it were, between them and us in the way we think about how to do church. And, and there are some things that aren't negotiable because the Bible talks about them. Mm-hmm. But then there are other things that the Bible just describes. It doesn't say you have to do them. It just says this is what they did. Mm-hmm. And so making that distinction can help us. That has a name, does it? The regulative principle? What's the, the something principle? Yeah, the regulative principle. Oh, yes. Yeah. I should, I should have it. said it confidently. Nailed it. <laughs> but I found when I did a subject at Ridley, which looked at how we do church and all the different components of church, mm. and that could be a whole other podcast on its own. Um, but learning that principle of where scripture gives a mandate, yes, there we will mm. obey, but where it doesn't, there there is freedom. And realizing maybe just how much freedom there is, hence why we're having this discussion, um, that... Yeah, maybe there's more on the table that's negotiable mm. yeah. uh, than we sometimes realise. Why, why do we want to shape it after a different time? Like, why can't we just own the fact of, like, this is just how we really want to do ministry? <laughs> like, do you know what I mean? Like, if that's the parallel that everyone's pulling is because that's how they did it thousands of years ago. And, like, okay, great. But I wonder if there's just this beauty of like we're in a time and we just get to do this because this is a really great thing to do, you know, like we're, we're sitting surrounded by kids stuff. Like this isn't something that is told, do this, but it's a, this is a really creative way to use the gifts that God has given us to be able to gather people and to open the word and to encourage us and for them like really little kids on what does it look like to love Jesus? You share your stuff toy with your little sister. You know, and so, like, I just, I don't know. I, I think I just find it frustrating that we always, like, I'm comparing to a different time when it's, why can't we just own it for us for now? But this is what, like, God has allowed us to do. Like, this is a good gift within the freedom of, you know, do the one another's, do the things that God has commanded us to do, be creative in how to figure it out. Mm. Because that's actually what the first century Christians did. They were creative yeah. and figured out how to do one another, yeah. love one another well. They had even less of a handbook than we do. Exactly. Mm. exactly. I, I don't want to be suspicious of people's motives, but mm. in my experience, one of the reasons people appeal to the first century is just because you can make the first century say anything you want it to, and they don't like the present state of things. And so they appeal to the early church as a way of moving things back to the way they want it to be. So it is still a matter of personal preference. Sure. They're just using the first century church as a way of arguing so that's like super cynical of me to point out but seriously like some people hate big churches Mm. and i don't know they have a great theological reason for that they might have been personally hurt by that and that's awful but if you don't like big churches because you're an introvert i don't think the answer is then to theologically appeal to the smallness of the early church Mm. but that that's sometimes the logic whether whether it's conscious or not Mm. Because um, you could go the other way, right? They met in the temple. There were thousands of people there. So our church should be as big as possible. And, and I think it's just so uh, open as, as to how you understand the first century yes. um, that there are, there are key principles we won't, we won't budge on that the Bible said, this is what church should be. You mentioned gathering people together and opening yeah. the word, right? They're not up for grabs. Those yeah. are non-negotiables. Most other things kind of are. And there's some maybe guiding principles and some parameters, but they're very wide lanes for us to swim in. Mm. And so within that, you've got everyone's personal preference, and that's where it gets messy. And so often people will argue for one way or another, Mm -hmm. and you choose something that you want, 
then you find a way to justify it in your mind. Yep. And sometimes, sadly, you use history and theology to try and do that. Does sure. that make sense? And I'm sure I do the same, right? Yeah. So it would be, it's going to be a hard day for me if I'm convinced that small groups are not the way forward because I feel like I have some theological underpinnings to why we do small groups. Yeah. But if I had to undo them, that would be really confronting. And so I don't begrudge anyone who feels that their way of church is the right way of church. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I think you want to be really careful that you can show from the Bible that this is not just described but commended as a way of doing church in the New Testament. Mm-hmm. So what are your theological underpinnings then? You said you've got some of why you think we should do small groups. Is it because of the one and that? Like, as we were saying yeah, before. So, no, so I, sorry, I, I have theological... Well, no, let me take that back. I, I have strong <laughs> convictions. Yeah. Um, I, but I don't think they're theological. Okay. So I think the one another statements is maybe the big category. Yeah. All the things the church is called to do with and for one another. Mm-hmm. Right? That's a whole lot of things. But you, you think about those and work mm-hmm. out how are we doing as a church at doing each of these things. And then after that, I think you've got to look at stuff like Dunbar's number. <laughs> so yeah. check out episode two of the podcast if you want to find out more. But just the reality is you can't have more than 150 meaningful relationships. Mm. So if your church is bigger than that, you've got to start thinking really carefully mm. about what it means to do the one another's in that context because at some point you're making difficult choices about that. And so I, I think it is a combination of theologically, here are things we have to do. Sociologically and psychologically, there are just practical limitations on us as human beings right mm. now. So how do we respect the limitations that we have and still do the things that God has called us to do? And to me, it feels like one-to-one ministry is a fantastic way of doing many of those things. Mm-hmm. Sunday gatherings is a fantastic way of doing many of those things. But small groups sits in the middle of those two gatherings mm-hmm. and is a fantastic way of helping mm-hmm. us gather together and open the word, but also share our lives with one another. Mm-hmm. And, and honestly, for me and for everyone else I know who likes small groups, the best argument for them is they work. Yeah. <laughs> you're in one and it works. Yep. It, it does what you're hoping it would do over time. Mm-hmm. And so really, if you're not convinced about small groups, try one. Mm-hmm. Do, it, do it for 12 months. Mm. And if you're still not convinced, then let's chat. Yeah. But, but I think um, God works through his word and mm-hmm. through his people by his spirit. And so anytime you get the Bible and people in the same room, and get all those things open at once, I think you're doing ministry, mm. doing good ministry. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we could do all sorts of gatherings. Why not have medium groups, small groups of 10, medium groups of 40, and then big Sunday gatherings? Absolutely. It's yep. not small groups are the only way to do ministry. I've uh, been led to believe God works outside of small groups as well. And so that's good news for lots of people. That's right. But yeah, I, I think all, the, the reason for the question is I think we just assume the answer a lot. Yeah. Mm. Which means we either undervalue them or we overvalue them mm. as a thing. You said you've spoken to a bunch of people, like you've asked a bunch of people just to kind of hear their thoughts and just probably hear different understandings of small groups too, I would imagine. Um, What's been the surprising answer that people have given when you've asked them, why why small groups? Because I would imagine you would have some pretty consistent answers, but then, I don't know, just thinking through the many people that are within your circles, I can just imagine there would be some, also some really interesting perspectives. 
what mm. would be one or two that have made you be like, huh, I didn't think of that? I mean, the most surprising answer is always, I don't know. I've never thought about that. Huh. People I would have thought have thought about this and, yeah. and spend a lot of time on small groups. Yeah. Mm. Have just never questioned why we would do them okay. and wondered whether it's worth doing. Um, so that's probably the surprising answer. Mm. In terms of valuable answers, I think the stuff we've covered, the, the stuff you said is, is pretty common. Is There's kind of something theological about them in that it's a good way of doing the stuff the Bible calls us to, but there's also something pragmatic about them in that it's an efficient way of doing it and a way that makes it possible for us to do it with lots of people, but not everyone at once. So you can have both close relationships with people and mm. lots of people involved, which you can't do in some other context. So, so there's no, no one's set the world at light yet with a mind-blowing answer. Mm. Um, but it's, what's interesting to me is there's lots of bad answers and there's lots of people who haven't asked the question yet. And mm. so um, that, that just shapes your opinion, whether you realize it or not. But yeah. if you're in a small group, the way you think about people who aren't is going to be shaped by your understanding of what small groups are for. And if you're not in one, you've got an answer for whether small groups are valuable and why they're valuable. Mm -hmm. And that's worth asking. Are, are you right about that? Because you're allowed to not be in a small group, but do you have a good reason or not? I, I don't know the answer. You, you've got to work out the answer. But I think it's... Um, it's just a question worth asking of all ministry, right? Why do we do kids' ministry? Why do we do connections ministry, women's ministry, all sorts of ministries? What is the value of this? Why do we do it? Yeah. Um, and we want to keep asking it because if we stop asking it, then we'll just do it. Like the answer always becomes, because we've always done that, mm. right? And that's, that's a dumb reason to do anything. <laughs> yeah. Something that we're, we're working on understanding at Sedona Hill is... Um, like what it looks like to belong like within a church and to a church and a huge part of kind of like this next phase is talking to people in gospel communities and finding out from them why gospel community like how does that help how does that shape and I'm like just after this conversation here I'm really even more excited for that phase of it because like a lot of the research that you're doing this year and a lot of prep that you're doing is, is to prepare for 2021, like thinking through how do we lead our gospel community leaders well, how do we lead our church well, um, how do we um, help foster thriving gospel communities and opportunities for people to do that. And I'm just, I really look forward to hearing from people within them because we're clearly convinced and we've had, and we've had varying experiences within small groups as well in our, you know, 12 years of being adults you know we've had different experiences some good some bad some hard some easy but like just in the same assumption as to thinking through maybe why people don't feel like they belong i think finding out from them why they do think so and a lot of people i know their answer is gospel communities and asking them why and i don't know like just hearing you say like i'm interested to hear people say i haven't thought about it it just is and like, that's great. That's like, fine. Okay. And then there'll be people that have really specific, this is why. And there's something really beautiful about the church being the church and getting why that matters and being able to articulate the value that that adds or the way that they see the Lord at work 
so specifically through gospel communities and through small group ministry. And so, I don't know, just as you were talking, I was like, ooh, like, this is going to be really, like, I love that we talk about it. Mm. <laughs> but, like, the mm. conversation deserves to be bigger mm. because mm. if the people who are leading the ministry are convinced, mm. great, we've got 60% of our church in them, which mm. means there are 40% of people who aren't convinced. Yep. And there's an element where that's our job to figure out and to not to convince, but to, you know, challenge and mm. help them think about mm. it. But then also the other 60% of people, mm. like getting them on board and understanding mm. why they, why, why they think God uses small groups in their lives yeah, to help them see him more. Mm. Can I make an observation about our conversation? Mm. One of the things none of us has mentioned, which is really interesting, is that the reason for small groups is so that you find community. And I think that's good. I think yeah. that's right. Because I think community, Christian community, is a means to an end and not an end in itself. Mm -hmm. The point of church is not so that you feel like you belong somewhere. Mm -hmm. The point of church is so that you become someone, so that the community you're part of does something to you and you mm -hmm. change as a result of that. Mm -hmm. And so um, we want to find out whether people f feel like they belong or not and what makes that happen. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, I don't think we're accountable for whether people that's not what god asks did people yeah. at your church feel like they belong it's were they presented mature in christ mm -hmm. did they become more like him mm. and that's why i want people to belong that's yeah. why we want people in small groups I, I don't really mind if you make friends or not i hope you do because it's fun but that's not the point mm. that's a means to an end and the end is godliness yeah. and so i think that's probably the other answer that most people give mm. for why joining small groups you know, it's a way of finding community that's cool, but if that's where you stop, that is a waste of everybody's time. Yeah. And we want to do more than just help people belong. We want them to be someone mm -hmm. different who's more like Jesus. Mm. And just anecdotally, from the year I've been going to a Bible study since I was in year seven, so yeah. I can't do the maths right now, but what are we looking at? Like almost 20 years. Um, and it's, oh, wow. Sorry. I just I yeah, made I, just, sound. No, I, I thought about it and I was like, oh boy. <laughs> anyway. Probably. You should start a podcast about small groups. Um, but when I think back over being a Christian and growing, the place, it's not, obviously, as we said, it's not the only place, but I definitely, maybe more than any other sermon I've listened to, mm. podcast I've listened to, it's been discussions in Bible studies and that wrestling with one another in Bible study is not physically wrestling with the word um, that has, I think, helped bring me, I hope, to a more mature place. Like mm. I just, and yeah, not that we want to default back to, it just works, but I know in my own life. Mm. And when I was a teenager, having leaders who were older than us and wiser than us, more mature, and I had excellent Bible study leaders and they were so crucial. Mm -hmm. um, and, and then as we became a bit more like peer-led, as I became a little bit older, but it was just so, I think that's the thing in my week that helped me understand the Bible better, helped mm -hmm. me know God better, and then helped me love him more and hopefully become a little bit more like Jesus in the process. Mm -hmm. um, and so, yeah, I think that, that aspect of what's going to bring people to maturity, yeah. um, Bible studies, just uh, gospel communities, growth groups, cell groups, whatever you want to call them, just... I feel like play a massive yeah. role in that. And like, it's okay for part of the answer to be, 
it just works. Yeah. But if you don't know what it me- what it works means, that's where it falls mm. down. Yeah. But for it's someone just to be like, well, because they work and we do them, move on. It's mm. like, okay. But like what you've just described is the goal, <laughs> is the change, is the maturing. And so the groups that you were in were successful. Like the leaders did a good job. They led well. They loved well. And as a result, you do look more like Jesus, I'm sure, than 13-year-old Brit. I hope like, so. I, I didn't know her, but I'm sure, you know, like you look more like Jesus than 29-year-old Brit, you know, and like that's a result of being in community and being in the word and seeing and understanding who Jesus is. I think that that's, that's, that's allowed to be a part of the celebration. Totally, mm. yeah. And the reverse is true anecdotally. I've spent time not mm. in small groups mm. over the last five years. Yep. It hurts. Yeah. It makes things harder. Mm. Like you just watch your growth slow down. Well, mm-hmm. I did at least, maybe not everyone, but, and yeah, again, there's good reasons not to be in them. Mm-hmm. That's, that's okay. I'm open to that, but um, I'm, I'm yet to hear an argument for something other than small groups because something is better mm. than, than having some sort of small group as part of your diet mm. in your Christian walk. Good. This was, Good chat. My little wheels in my brain are yeah. spinning. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's, it feels like we kind of we need to st- like stop there because yeah. I think we're all going to be silent for ten minutes to yeah. like think about yeah. like everything. Um, and I think as well, like going into the end of the year, like small groups are perhaps like officially wrapping up for the year, mm. but that doesn't mean that they actually wrap up and they close. Right. Like, like, and that's what's beautiful about small group ministry mm. is that the, the community that is there and the work that is happening continues because the point of the work is to look more like Jesus mm. and God is still at work, even if we're not meeting on a Wednesday night. Yep. But you still want to meet on the Wednesday night. Sure. <laughs> or the Tuesday or the Saturday morning, whenever it is. So if you're in a gospel community or in a small group and you were thinking, I'm not going to go this week, let us challenge you. You should go. I'll, I'll own it. I say it every time I service lead. Go to the gospel community this week because we're convinced that it's worth it and that they work because they make you more like Jesus. They give you the opportunity to look more like Jesus in a way that no, nothing else does. Mm. And we say it all the time, but it rarely feels like that at 10 p.m. on a Wednesday night. Mm. That's right. Looking more like Jesus takes 20 years, yeah. as Britt can testify to, I'm sure. <laughs> and me and everyone yeah. else I know. Um, yeah. And so the persistence is a huge right. part of belonging to yeah. a gospel community. Is The stuff we're trying to do yeah. is not a short-term project. Yeah. And faithfulness is a thing to be learned and is Christ-like. Totally. And so faithfulness in your gospel community is a way that you're looking more like Jesus, mm. even if you don't feel like your life is being changed. Amen. Because mm. we, we, we enjoy faithfulness. Big fan. Big fan. (laughs) This has been good. Yeah. Thanks, pals. Thanks, pals. Thank you. chat. (laughs) We'll see you guys next week. Mm. Until then, keep trusting Jesus. Wash those hands. Do we need to keep washing hands now that restrictions are... Yes. There are some hygiene things that we should keep doing. (laughs) Okay, great. So keep trusting Jesus. Wash your hands. (laughs) And go to your small group. Love it. (laughs) Bye. Bye. Bye.
thank you for listening to our podcast. If you'd like to know more about our church, or if you'd like to donate to the work of City on a Hill, please visit cityonahill.com.au.